You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM program Reflections. Mere saath hamesha ki tarah aaj bhi hamare mehman hain Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad. Ye Reflections program teen hisson mein hum isko taqseem karte hain. Pehla hissa jisme hum samajhne ki koshish karte hain ki हम जिस ईमान के दावेदार हैं जिस इस्लाम को हमने अपनाया हुआ है उसको आज के दौर में जीने के लिए जो हमारे मसाइल हैं या हमारे पास जो चैलेंजेस हैं उसका दीन में हमें एक परतो क्या मिलता है उसकी दीन में हमें क्या रहनुमाई मिलती है और उसका दूसरा हिस्सा रिफ्लेक्शंस का हम कोशिश करते हैं कि शेख से ہم اپنے نفس کے تزکیے کے سلسلے میں کچھ رہنمائی لیں اللہ کی رحمت کی طرف بڑھنے کے لیے جو چیزیں ضروری ہیں ان کو سمجھنے کی کوشش کریں کہ وہ ہم میں کیسے آ سکتی ہیں اور تیسرے حصے میں ایک دعا ہم آپ کے سامنے رکھتے ہیں جس کا مطلب اور اس کے گہرائی میں جا کر کے معنی جو ہیں وہ سمجھنے کی کوشش کرتے ہیں یہ ساری چیزیں انگریزی زبان میں ہیں اور میں کوشش کرتا ہوں کہ اس کو سمرائز کر دیا جائے ان لوگوں کے لیے جو اردو میں ذرا سہولت محسوس کرتے ہیں ریفلیکشنز ود شیخ رضوان محمد ان آر اینڈ ٹوڈے شیخ السلام علیکم وعلیکم السلام ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ سیونٹینتھ آف رمضان آلو وی ہیو ڈسکسڈ بدر بفور بٹ ٹوڈے از اے ڈے آف بدر Um, and again the context that we live in uh, with uh, w- one thing that struck me uh, that you said um, two days ago that y- you had a teacher who would recite the names of all the shohada of Badr mm-hmm. just to honor them for what they had done um, and honoring the people who had given their lives to uphold the deen and wh- where we find ourselves today um, in situations that yesterday when we left the, our, our conversation that how we have to strike our balance between trying to see look into the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ other than the battles other than the, the skirmishes other than um, the confrontations and the larger part of Sira where the interaction with human beings, interaction with Muslims, non-Muslims, other communities uh, and how uh, interacted with people, with the nations, with um, uh, amongst the friends and where I asked you the question that I find myself self-censoring what parts of Quran, what parts of uh, Quranic commentary should be now played on Ramadan or uh, should be displayed on our social media from there to actually commemorating to memorizing the shohada how do we strike the balance here <clears throat> the balance is struck very clearly by the fact that you recognize and you honor and you remember um, the very people you know around a dozen of the companions of Prophet who who achieved um, sacrificing themselves for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that day um, you memorize and, rem- and you remember it by recognizing the fact that they um, were undertaking a task which 
they were specifically chosen for, for by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is something in their destiny their, their destiny was such that um, Allah for some reason chose them specifically to be the people that would sit and stand and, and walk and fight with the Prophet and completely submit to his will at a time in history when the worship of God was on the wane and the Prophet his famous dua um, you know, after he prepared the the army, he went to just the outskirts of Badr and he prayed to Allah and said, "If if if this if this army is vanquished of yours, there'll be then there'll be nobody on the face of this earth that will worship you." So the way that we strike the balance is to do what every self-respecting nation would do, which is to m- remember our greatest um, community, which was the first community, and the greatest of those people, which is the people of Badr. So when we talk about you know the greatest of our of our of our people. We always talk about the Khulafa Rashidun. We talk about the people of Badr, and we talk about the people of Uhud, and we talk about people of Khandaq. These are the cream of the cream of of the companions of the Prophet who you know sacrificed when there was nothing, and there was no there was no valor in it. There was no kind of booty. There was no kind of um, you know there was no reason to go to war, which was financial. But they did it, and this is why. Imam Barzanji has a very famous um, poem on, on the names of the people of Badr and this was something that was a, a common instance in Muslim countries where they would actually recite and, and um, you know have a, a gathering where they remem- remember the people of Badr and remember the lessons of Badr mm-hmm. because remember in pre-modern society you had to honour the people that ha- had courage and valour and sacrificed and we as a community can be nothing different from that because if you don't honour the people that sacrificed for the the, the belief and the and the tenets of, of of humanity that you believe in specifically, then you have no re- you have no reason to and no 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 reason to exist as as a nation. And we are a religious nation. We are a, we're a, mm. we're a group that holds true to our faith, and we cannot censor censor things that have a very clear logic and a very clear rationale and a very clear defence mm-hmm. which is that this this fight that took place in the Battle of Badr was a fight between people that were oppressing and the mm-hmm. people that were fighting for for humanity and, and the rules of humanity and laws that were the same whether you're a man or a woman or you're a slave or you're not a slave at that time the, the Prophet ﷺ taught something that was completely egalitarian to the point that even up until this day you know in terms of financial law and the prophesies and taught things which are which you know state a degree of equality between people that hasn't been achieved by any modern state at all. So that kind of thing we need to we need to recognise that that's where the prophet was fighting. Mm. You know he didn't want to go to war. He 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 wanted to remain in Medina and, and build up a strong a strong nation. But he knew that the Quraysh were plotting to come back as soon mm. as he arrived in, in Medina Nawara. He established the mosque. He established the marketplace. He established the first written constitution of any any city state in the history of humanity. In the in the expectation that they were going to come after him, oh. they would not. Their their jealousy of the Prophet was such that they could not leave him be, and therefore he knew Sallallahu As soon as he left the outskirts of Mecca, he knew that they were coming after him. And you know the story of the the Prophet being chased by. You know the the tribesmen out of Mecca and, and being searched during the during the when he was in in the Ghari Thawr, 
and 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 over the over thirteen days that he was in travel to Madinah, all that period of time he was, you know, being chased. Mm. And you have amazing miracles that happen on the way. But the thing is, the Prophet knew at every point that he was in he was in he was in trouble and he was under threat. Mm. And then when Badr came, it was still a defense of the the weak, of the meek, of the ones that have nothing, of the dispossessed, of the refugees, if you mm. would if you'd call it like that. And so how can you not commemorate that? That is one of the most amazing benchmarks of what humanity is as a human race. Leave aside Muslims or religious traditions, just mm-hmm. in the sense of setting down the reasons why you fight in a battle in, mm-hmm. a, in a heroic way for values, <laughs> then that is the, that is the, that's the reason, that's the, that's the kind of gist of what Badr is. A son is born and a dua is given in a traditional Muslim society. May you become a mujahid and may you have um, a fate of a shaheed. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a dua that I've, I've heard every so often um, in, in traditional Muslim society. Now, understanding this, that coming from a small community where everyone in Medina was asked to now fight mm-hmm. because they were a handful anyway, mm-hmm. from there to the Ottoman period where there are millions of Muslims and there is then a regular army uh, and it becomes just incumbent on those people to fight who are now a- in an army mm-hmm. not the norm- not your population do we understand Sira in this context that yes there was a need to have that kind of dua at the time but now times have moved on There, you know it's not for everyone to be in that state I mean, there's an interesting. You have to think. I'm thinking. You know, it's a situation of what comes first: is it a car or is is it the horse? Okay. In the what we know from the seerah of the Prophet for sure, and our teachings, and this is clearly understood, is that the horse comes before the cart. Peace becomes comes before war. Yep. I, I don't have to justify that because. You know, I'd, if you had a, somebody else sitting here saying the opposite, then it would take two minutes to change, finish the discussion because it's not up for discussion. The Prophet remained in a, in a situation where he would not engage unless he was forced to engage in battle. That's understood from the seer all through, even the most, the, the, you know, most aggressive points of the seer when the Prophet was was on the on the front foot when he was preempting, like in the battle of. Um, um, Khaybar for example or the Battle of Mu'ta you know in these kind of situations or the Battle of Tabuk he was still preempting the attack that he knew was going to come mm. and this is why we have to realize that the days when states went to war without any kind of protocol have finished Okay. In, for normal states yeah. we're not talking about the situation in Libya or the situation in, in Syria or in Iraq we're saying as a de facto position, states nowadays do not engage in warfare in, unless there is a number of protocols that take place, and there's sanctions that take place against nations if they do go to war as well. So, there's always this idea that people don't don't just go to war now for no reason, and this is all turned upside down. And this is, and I think people will be thinking, well, that doesn't make sense because you know Saudi Arabia and a whole coalition are, are bombing. Um, you know, Yemen and in, in Libya there's a there's civil war between three sides and in, in, in Syria there's a civil war between 62 or 63 um, factions up to 63 factions now but the reality is 
Part of the part of that is the meddling of 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 external powers. So you have you have Russia, you have Iran, you have you know the kind of satellite states that support America. Part of it is is their machinations, but the thing that allows these countries to perpetuate war and to go through a state where civil war seems to be natural mm-hmm. is the fact that the peoples have not come to terms with the fact that you know the way that war should be is not the way it was in the past mm-hmm. and this is why it's unless you are in a dire situation immediately where there's perpetual war mm-hmm. and there's been generations of that it makes perfect sense to raise your child and to say oh Allah make him a mujahid fi sabilillah I pray to Allah he's a shaheed that makes perfect sense mm-hmm. when you have generations so you have a you have three or four generations where you have been oppressed by an, by an, by an you know kind of an army which has say for example the example of Algeria during mm-hmm. the French occupation or the Italian occupation during the during the in Libya for example in the, in the early twentieth um, century in the nineteenth twentieth century that makes perfect sense because the mother is is suckling the child having seen her husband killed do you understand yeah. No human being should ever be in a situation where they capitulate to the point that they become spineless in the face of violence and oppression and torture. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? So that has to be very clear to us. But the situation we have in our in our, in our midst is we think that the the cart is in front of the horse. Mm-hmm. When you, when you make that as a sixth pillar. Um, academically, you know, jihad becomes the sixth pillar. But to be honest, the Prophet did say that the, the highest point of this affair is jihad. Okay. And he said it at a point when it was, when it was the situation where you were either with the Prophet or you were a hypocrite. You understand? At that point, it was either you come out, when I say come out, he said, you know, join me in battle. If you didn't, then you're a hypocrite because hypocrite, not meaning linguistic, but in yeah, terms of yeah. munafiq opposing the Prophet opposing the treaties that he'd signed hmm. and you were putting at risk the, the city-state of, of Medina Nawara mm-hmm. um, and what did it stand for? It didn't stand for oppression it didn't stand, uh, stand for you know, the worst of, of humanity it stood for the best of humanity mm-hmm. so it didn't make any sense so in those kind of, those kind of hadith that are mentioned that mention that the, that the, the, the peak of the Sefir is jihad that makes perfect sense mm-hmm. in that context but the issue here is that we have now made that or certain people in communities <coughs> have almost per- allowed that to become the de facto set state of affairs um, without looking at what's happening around you anymore mm-hmm. is it being effective is it needed is it justified um, and that is th- that is the biggest question I think the ummah has to face now and our schools have to mm. I think slightly wake up because I think one of the things I've noticed on scholarship over the last um, 70, 80 years is there's an extreme naivety re- relating to politics and geopolitics and power. Yeah. An extreme, extreme um, naivety. That's not criticism, that's just yeah. the reality. Very few scholars I've seen who have really, you know, caught the bull by its horns. Yeah, and, and understood con- the, 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 the politics, yeah. And I've seen scholars like that in action in, in where I've, you know, when I was studying in Yemen or Syria yeah. or, or Turkey. I've seen schools that have actually understood what's happening, hmm. and they've built their work and their and their and their teaching and their and their all their activities based on the fact now they understand the dynamics of the world works, and by and large they've been the most successful and vindicated over 
you know, over mm. the last 40, 50 years. Vindicated meaning what their position was has been seen to be true. And we used to have, you know, scholars used to say you shouldn't go to Palestine to visit based on a very naive understanding of the this perception that if you go to Palestine you're 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 um, what you're doing is you're you're perpetuating the occupation of Palestine by the Israelis. Mm. But the reality is over time you re- realize is that that policy that was unsaid but it was pr- propagated led to the emaciation of the Palestinian economy. It led to the Palestinians feeling almost isolated from the Ummah, mm. apart from the ones that were, that were refugees and the ones that were, the re- that were refugees were treated as third-class citizens in mm. the majority of the Muslim world I've been to. Therefore, what for what purpose? Mm. To understand that miscalculation on something that is so clear, which is the fact that you need to economically support and buttress up a minority mm. which is being oppressed and which is under occupation, that was a non non-brainer. For me, it was an it was it was just mm. a non-brainer. Mm. That is so obvious that you go and you help them and you you feel them make them feel part. Of an ummah, the, the pragmatism kind of was missing. Yes, and what you, what I realized when I spoke to people who who were in Palestine is that they resented the the fact that people had been stopped to come, and now that's all changed. Now yeah. people go for Umrah and they, they stop off at Quds, um, and you see, you know, the kind of relationship that we have now and our understanding of Quds is much better because you have mm. people from Glasgow and Ramadan going. Yep. they come back, they teach people about the real situation there. They teach them what they can do practically to help the the, the, the Palestinians, even help the people of the region generally, not just mm. Palestinians. We're talking about this is a situation which requires, um, you know, us to help both sides. Valim or Madlum, as the Prophet mm. said, in Unsar Akhak, you know, you know, give support to your friend or your brother, whether he's the oppressor or the oppressed. Mm. And it's obvious how you you give aid to your the ones that's oppressed, and how do you do it to the one that's that's the oppressor? You do not allow him to perpetuate. Sheikh, all this conversation, sorry, is in the backdrop of the, the, the present violence that we see and the the the, the, the wave of violence mm-hmm. and how we are labelled as as one of the most violent nations. And for uh, you know, uh, we see that the suicide bombing, the people are blowing themselves up, has become such a commonplace that we are on back foot having to defend. Mm-hmm. Is this a phenomena that is just? existed just now and only with faith-based communities or this has always been the case in the history? So it's a very good question. I think the way you um, answer that is to look at the fact that um, over the last 30 years I think we have, there's a glitch in the the way that Islam has presented itself. So to, from 19, probably 1979. This is, this is actually we got into this by foreign intervention, started off by the the, the Soviet, um, you know, occupation of, of, of Afghanistan, and then a, you know, a, dom- a domino effect where that, where a small geopolitical game between America and, and Russia led to destabilization in other states, mm. and then you have the curse of oil as well for the for the Muslim community, and um, which meant that the, the the foreign nations, Western nations, predominantly would want to have some kind of foothold that led to as uh, led to a glitch in how Islam has dealt with violence if you mm. look at this historically and this has been researched I've looked at every single piece of research on religion violence and violence in general mm-hmm. 
violence in general has to be dealt with as well because people always say I mean this is one of the things that you know people that really hate Islam like Sam Harris Eugen um, Smyre you've got uh, Bernard Lewis people that really hate Muslims and accuse them of being violent one of the things they always use is the fact that religions are all violent Christianity Judaism Islam Hinduism Confucianism Buddhism they're all pro pro they have this propensity to violence every single statistical study on violence in human history comes down to a conclusion and this is this is kind of conservative estimates that six percent of wars in human history mm. took place predominantly on the basis of, of religion and it was religion was one of the major um, factors in instigating violence six percent mm -hmm. that's that's between all religions okay so this idea that religion is inherently violent is a complete red herring it's a complete lie okay mm -hmm. and only two percent of people killed in wars in human history have been killed in religious wars. 2%? 2%. 2.7, roughly 2.7%. Sheikh, now, hold on, hold on. Where is the statistics coming th from? These are, these are, this is over two, three pieces of research. Okay. All come up with the same kind of figure of 7% of wars are religious wars, but the number of people killed in, religi in religious wars are much less, usually. So this picture has been painted that religion is is the basis of the, uh, the entire medicine You can go into the, the street, you can ask people about religion. In the West of Scotland, Catholic, Protestant, yeah. you know. Or they'll say, well, religion's always been violent and, and this and that. Yeah. Or if you want to be scientific, you want to really sit on your high horse, then you might as well take the statistics out and, and study wars and look at the death, death tolls over wars and, <coughs> and, and actually um, map them out. And mapping them out through academic, peer-reviewed research shows the f types of figures I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. That's in terms of religions in general, which means that the majority of wars in human history have taken place based upon reasons that are not to do with religion at all. Because religion, if you look at religious teachings, the basic mm -hmm. thing about religious teachings is that you don't kill people. Mm -hmm. That's like the, the most basic thing that you honour God and you honour the things that are created in the, in the, in the image of God, which is human mm -hmm. beings. The process I'm saying to, to one of the companions when he was fighting with somebody else. But pre present day, I mean, you look, you look at the entire Muslim world, mm -hmm. it's sectarian. No, I'm saying the glitch. I'm coming to okay. this glitch. And before, sorry, before this glitch, um, mm -hmm. say Rohingyas, mm -hmm. Rohingya Muslims, the way they're, they're also being mistreated by another religious group. Yes. And that's in the name of religion, mm -hmm. which apparently is very peaceful, kind of monk-like and all the rest mm -hmm. of it. But it's, religion is a base. No, no. See, this is the thing about saying religion is the base it's, it's a Buddhist, na Buddhist nation that's doing it and, mm. and, and some of the henchmen are Buddhist priests mm -hmm. but you, what you have to understand is not a big it's, not a, it's a deep topic but it's actually a very simple idea that violence has always been part of human societies mm. why is that? because what, what is violence there for? it's to enforce stability it is to ensure um, resources that are, are there are, are kept for yourself. So you have police. Why do you have police? So that people don't just take your house, don't just take your wealth, don't just take your bank account. You have violence there usually to perpetuate a, a certain class of people that have power and they want to keep power. And so what happens with those group of people, which is nowadays the same thing, look at your the, the elite of the elite, the super rich. They want to protect their wealth and the way that they do that is to either become violent or have the threat of violence against other people mm. now because people are also religious mm. the simple 
step to do for them is to co-opt religion into justifying violence. So basically, look... I think we need to continue with this. No, no, I'll okay. finish that idea. Which is basically, you're going to kill people okay, for your wealth. You might as well have a, a really mystical justification for it. Mm. Which is, to the people that are getting killed, it's part of the divine order. It's like, you know, it's like Marx said, religion is the opium of the people. It's the, the opium of the people is true in one sense because it is a thing that is fed to people to tell them to just take what's given to you. Mm. To mm. just lie down and accept the kind of... And this is, what's, this is the big issue, which is, you know, if you look at early pre-monotheistic religions, they had this structure of caste, for example. And the caste system was there specifically for that idea of you will remain at this kind of lower level. And the violence that comes upon you is to clean you, purify you. And this is why the untouchables remained untouchable. And they, ha they were happy because they felt that they were going to go through this process of, of growth to a mm. higher spiritual level by being suffered upon on earth. Mm, mm. And the thing is, just because you're seeing the Buddhists inflicting pain mm -hmm. upon the Muslims... That is taking out the issue of economics and nationhood and identity, mm, which mm. are as important, if not more important, than the religious. Very interesting idea there, which I want to discuss further, actually, after this ad break, uh, about how religion probably has been used by the wealthy to to seek control or to gain control. Um, and is violence unique to religion, or has it been a menace which has existed out with religion as well? We were talking about um, this idea of violence, um, which is associated largely with religion. And I was actually quite surprised to know that you're saying that it's only 6%. 6% of people who've ever died in... No, no, 6% of w wars that are wars. waged in human history were waged predominantly on the basis of, of religion and religious reasons. Okay. And this and is based and upon... Only 2.7% people... Yes, yeah, so between 2 and 2.7% of people killed in, in battles over the faith over over um you know over human history were killed on the basis of religious violence and that makes sense because if you look at the american the discovery of america for example mm. you have estimates 3.334 to 30 million red indians killed um, 38 million 38 million you know you add these up you can you you go to if if you if you start to add up wars and and what they were waged for, realize that um, there's reasons why religion came to why religion came in the first place. Mm. This is what, what 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 this is the reason why this is such a strange discussion. That I if I ever you know I, I always meet people that talk about religion and violence. Within about two two or three minutes, the conversation stops because you just need to tell them simple facts. facts of human history Re well researched, understood, well researched. agreed I mean, upon they'll, they'll struggle for a couple of minutes and then after that you're kind of alright but you know you're, you're violent now and I said well there's, there's different reasons for that so let's just talk about if you're saying the human condition uh, becomes violent based upon religion that's a, that's a complete lie it needs mm. to be said in black and white the issue now is about why is religion hijacked for violence and it's mm, been hijacked mm. to give meaning to perpetually allow that state of affairs to continue so when the Aryans arrived in the subcontinent before you know this is before the period of the Prophet Isa they came and they, and they pillaged and they raped and they stole 
but they based it upon and they this and they brought their religion they based it upon the fact that that God had chosen them as the highest caste they're the chosen people mm. and it's the same thing the Aryan race the, Hitler did had the same thing that they were this kind of super race mm-hmm. you know as, as, as Sheikh, is, it, is it sorry is it fair to say that religion has this thing that religious people have this thing that they're prone to be controlled by the powerful uh, I mean looking at Soviet Union and Afghanistan situation was not the idea of jihad and Afghan uh, in and and religion actually probably you became a tool in the in the proxy war of two superpowers yes I mean that's true that point is true the Americans used and abused the Muslim population of Afghanistan and, and until up up until this day they created the the majority of the institutions and the, and the warring factions that were there and they within it knew that they would use in defending their country the principle of jihad yeah which is resisting foreign occupation as is everybody's right but they knew that once they started that it was a self-perpetuating motor self-perpetuating mm. dynamo which once it moves mm. it won't stop they won't stop because the people there are a nation that have never been suppressed they've never been occupied and uh, many many peoples have come alexander the great came and was defeated everybody who's come there has been defeated mm. and you know some bin laden was you know there's the funniest thing i saw was the washington post had a, a op-ed on sam bin laden that he was the, the f- this great freedom fighter mm. you know when it was when it suited the american um, yeah. political establishment he was this great free- freedom fighter and when he started to 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 become a bit deranged in 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 his actions and he didn't suit the american foreign, foreign policy there at that point it became clearly he became clearly enemy number one but they created the monster no but again what i what i hear from you mm. is the resentment that americans did it what what i what my issue here is how come these people who have faith and who belong to the ummah of prophet sallallahu mm-hmm. let themselves get used like this can they not see what was happening yes yeah, so that's why why i'm saying i said at the beginning is that over the last 70 to 80 years our scholars and our leaders haven't had that they've been extremely naive in what's being done to them yeah like naive naivety means that you take somebody's word for this is what's happening do this and you just go on with it like yeah. a naive child you say you know do x y and z and they do it and they don't realize the consequences it's almost like you put a carrot in front of you know carrot you carrot in front of somebody and they just move mm. and that's what's happened with with our nations we're not thought about the fact where's violence in the history of humanity what do religions really say about violence mm-hmm. and who have in fact been the most violent in the human in, in throughout human history is it religions or is it people that have stood against the principles of religion and what we find is is people that have stood against the principles of religion religions came to teach the fact that you know like the quran says whoever kills one source as if they kill the whole humanity that was not just a islamic teaching that is at source it's actually a jewish teaching because mm-hmm. the quran says min ajli dhalika katabna abani israil So is it is it no, the case that it's because that of this that we wrote upon the children of Israel that whoever kills one soul is as if they killed the whole humanity that mm-hmm. we take that and borrow that from the Jewish tradition and the Jewish tradition is the is the core <coughs> of the the uh, monotheistic religions so we have to think how do how we come how have we become co-opted in thinking that we are by nature a violent religion which is now becoming a strand 
uh, within our thinking that we are constantly at this in the situation of of fighting and and resisting and it's a perpetual thing that will continue continues in the day of judgment so that rancor that hatredness that kind of fixed stances and really st- strong lines uh, and you can't cross that line mm-hmm. um what was the basis of that where to to understand how do we become so intolerant that the, every dispute has to come to killing mm-hmm. i think to be to be fair to our community i'm surprised that it's not more violent okay you understand well i'm not surprised i'm surprised that the violence is as it is and people are not more violent because of the misreading of our text which is almost i mean i, I teach I, mean, i teach up and down the country and initially <coughs> when i start teaching i kind of gauge where people are at in terms of knowledge of islam and where they get their knowledge from and their understanding of text and i'm always you know slightly flabbergasted by the fact that they could be taken in by anything hmm because I mean, it's extreme such a naivety v- vacuum really a vacuum of even people i've been reading for 20 years i'm mean, i'm not talking about people you know that just started to pray and, and learning the basics i'm talking with people i've been reading on and off different things you know pick and mix everywhere really confused ideas hmm so i'm thinking well why is there not more madness the only thing that stops it is just general common sense that stops them saying i know this is the conclusion i'm coming to but common sense says this is rubbish mm-hmm. and that's the only thing that's saving us mm-hmm. and in the muslim world it's, it's exactly the same thing but the kind of oppression the kind of you know corruption that's in in our countries you know that's why you had the arab spring that's why you had you know the revolutions and this is why you know, even today in qatar is being um you know scapegoated for the <coughs> the actions of or the inactions of a group of nations that think that you know they they are on the right side of history mm. the reality is nobody comes out looking good but we have to think where is all this take a step back and look at where is all this in the in 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 our religious tradition and that's mm. really what we have to think yeah. about because and this is interesting in history which is called ashoka's dilemma you know ashoka you probably you know it's not a restaurant <laughs> i know you're fasting and you're thinking ashoka whatever it is In Glasgow we think Ashoka is a restaurant. Ashoka. Ashoka is a very famous you know a, a very ancient um, Indian ruler who was known for violence. He was just known to be bloodthirsty. Yeah. And one day what he did is after a battle he went through the country and looked at what his war had done. My primary six history book mm-hmm. uh, Heroes of Subcontinent the mm-hmm. first one was Ashoka. Ashoka do you know why was he the hero? because of his uh, chivalry because of his um, no well maybe in maybe in that he was bloodthirsty and what happens after he he is he's decimated another town another city he actually visits and looks at the children that've been killed and the bloodshed and his own s- soldiers and just the destruction and he takes a vow that he will never be violent again okay now that seems to be the end of it that's not the end of it what he realizes that he has a dilemma which is if he does not fight in certain situations then somebody like him who is a new kid on the block who is mm, as violent mm. as him will then inflict violence on the people that he's in charge of which is mm. n- which are now peaceful mm. so his dilemma was what do you become a pacifist or do you fight for just causes mm. and he had interest enough he had placards placed in all of his kingdom renouncing violence but he still had a standing army and he still fought battles and that in history is called ashoka's dilemma dilemma which is nobody 
on this earth can become a pacifist because there's always, always somebody somewhere that wants to some power that wants to do something that will that is unjust and you have to stand up to it mm. and so our tradition has to be very careful that we don't fall into the situation where we become a fat pacifist tradition and say well religion is a completely secular issue religion has a lot to say to people that create arms and design arms mm. and decide how many people are maimed and killed by shrapnel so w- w- what I'm hearing from you is religion isn't a secular issue Re- religion isn't just for the person for, for him and his god I- in a room in his ro- uh, in his house and this is really why I want, want, want to actually come to know if you pointed it out is that religion is accused there's a massive machinery of propaganda against religion saying religions are violent mm. brainwashed people are brainwashed in school in universities in academia as well until they're challenged to say that religions are, are, are violent, irrational, therefore they have to be taken out of the public square. In other words, you can pray in your mosque, pray in your church, don't tell us what you believe, believe in. And the re- reality is that's done so that you can, first of all, create a bogeyman, which is the religious other that is going to be mm. violent and irrational, and you're rational by default. So you say that those people are ugly, those people are evil, which means by default we're beautiful. But the other thing is, it allows you to do what you want mm-hmm. without any ethical bars. Mm. In other words, you can create the most heinous ma- weapons of mass destruction and use them, have them produced in your country and grovel over the mass contracts that you get from you know, the Muslim world and you will not care of the fact that milk came, kills and maims thousands of people as collateral damage because there's no religious tradition telling you that killing one person is like killing the whole humanity. Mm-hmm. And you think about it, mm. George W. Bush... Obama and now this new orange man what they say is collateral damage Mm. whereas a religious tradition would say you have killed the whole humanity a thousand times in that that strike and it would say to the person in Manchester who killed 20, 22 people you have killed the whole whole humanity 22 times and you have dishonoured our tradition and you have brought shame upon your, your whole nation by your action that's the reality, religion has to be at the core of Public, the public sphere and it has to be allowed and people have to have the courage to articulate it but articulate in a way that is true to their tradition True. it doesn't mean jumping out into the street and say, yeah. you know, having a demonstration about you know, you know, a, a grievance that you have it means understanding it and, and saying this is why we do not want these types of arms produced by our country we don't want to you know, export these weapons to this country that is not going to use them in a way that is ethically um, just, justified that's why religion needs to be there it needs to have a strong voice it needs to have its confidence to honour the people of Badr as we were you know, started off um, moving on to today's dua uh, which is again a tradition of our faith that there is time for this and there is time for that uh, when we learn s- stuff like uh, geopolitics and uh, macro level we come back to ourselves, individuals, and the families, and try to learn what's in it for us. Um, this du'a, I think, is from Surah Furqan. Let's hear this. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Inshallah, the, the du'a of today um, is it's not just for us, inshallah. It's something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us to do du'a, du'a for the rest of the family. And this du'a is taken from Surah Furqan, Surah number 25, verse number 74, in which 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to do this dua. Dua. Rabbana hablana min azwajina wa dhurriyatina qurrata a'yunin waj'alna lil muttaqina imama. That, O oh our Lord, grant us in our wives and our offsprings the coolness of eyes and make as a leader of those who guarded themselves against evil. So I'm going to play this again uh, just for the benefit of listeners. It's from Surah Furqan. It's ayah number 74 of Surah Furqan. I think Surah Furqan is 25th Surah, if I'm not wrong. I'll, I'll recheck that. Let's hear this uh, dua again. A'udhu billahi minash shaitani rajeem. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Inshallah, the, the dua of today um, is it's not just for us, inshallah. It's something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us to do dua, dua for the rest of the family. And this dua is taken from Surah Furqan, Surah number 25, verse number 74, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to do this dua, dua, Rabbana hablana min azwajina wa dhurriyatina qurrata a'yunin waj'alna lil muttaqina imama. That, O oh our Lord, grant us in our wives and our offsprings the coolness of eyes and make as a leader of those who guarded themselves against evil. It's a very interesting dua you've chosen today, um, Surah Furqan. It comes towards the end of it. <coughs> and it starts like, I mean, the dua we, we looked over at the couple of weeks, I mean, the last couple of days, it starts with the same um, kind of introduction, Yaquluna. So this is a description of people that God is praising. When God says, Yaquluna, Allah is, Allah is using people to say what He wants them to supplicate by. That's an immense blessing that, you know, Alama Iqbal has a, has a, has a poem, doesn't he, about that, 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 um, that God asked the servant, what is your desire? Yeah, yeah so there we go. <laughs> I, I can't recite those as well as you do. But it's such a famous, famous poem because it indicates that it is, God is putting the words upon people's lips himself. And therefore, the desire of God and the desire of people is one and the same. And so, their their supplication is, "O oh our Lord, Rabbana." Again, that idea of the collective. We've talked about that previously. Hablana, Hablana is an interesting word because it means that you're beseeching Allah Subhanahu wa Taala through this quality of Allah being Al Wahhab, which is the one that grants. And the, and the granting Allah Subhanahu wa Taala does here is interesting because Hab in Arabic means to give something. It means to provide something without any. Um, you know, without something in return. Remember yesterday we talked about Rabbana Amanna. It's a barter. It's a barter. It's a kind of trade. We're, it's a trade. We, Allah, we've done what we wanted to do or we needed to do and, and therefore forgive us. Whereas today it's as actually beseeching Allah through the fact that He is the one that gives without even the human being doing what He is asked to do. Hablana. And it's interesting because that hab can, can sometimes mean that you're asking for something as a positive which is give us a blessing and it can also be a recognition that sometimes what Allah gives you by withholding is also a hiba is also a gift a lot of people find difficulty in understanding mm. that in their lives because they think that hiba and a gift is okay give me a gift of a, a ring or a car the, the, the gifts from Allah are sometimes tangible and real and sometimes they're withholding, which is a gift. 
and that is why you know the Arabs used to say that how many a blessing is comes in, in this in the clothing of a, of a difficulty a tribulation mm-hmm. and the tribulation actually if you re- realize it down the line it's actually a blessing mm-hmm. and how many the opposite is the case how many a situation of tribulations have you had which in reality is a blessing so when Allah gives whatever he gives even if he withholds it is a type of giving his withholding is a giving his giving is a giving in other words, if you understand God, everything that comes from God mm. is good if your acceptance of it is good. So, so qabz and bast, those both are giving. So yeah, so that's a different quality of Allah, al-qabid al-basid, that God withholds and He gives as well. In both situations, it is a blessing. Because mm. the hadith of you know, Muslim, he says, Prophet said that, عَجَبًا لِأَمْرِ الْمُؤْمِنِ how amazing is the state of affairs of a believer because every single state of that believer is great is good in asabat sarra shakar aw sabar fakana khairun la if difficulty comes to him he has patience and it's best for him and then if if good comes to him he gives thanks fakana khairun la is good for him wa alaysa hadha illa lilmu'min this is only for a believer that this idea that if you receive or you or it's withheld in both situations a believer which is amanna we talked about yesterday which mm. is a perfect believer realize that the giving and taking of God is exactly the same because in each of them if you understand what's happening and you're open to the divine wisdom of things as they're happening you have either patience or, pa- or patience or thankfulness and that is your response to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives so hablana is this beseeching of Allah recognizing that even what he withholds is a giving or even what he gives Maybe a withholding So that word specifically Hab To say Allah give us And gift us in this specific way For us All of us You know Regardless of who they, who we are Regardless of our stations Regardless of Our, our, so, our uh, need Hab is from Hiba Hiba meaning gift Gift Oh Allah give us a gift of Rabbana Hablana Yes From For us For us For all of us And there was this, the same thing of Not to the people that Seem to des- or say they deserve it, and yeah. people, you know, some people, some people can say, "Well, I deserved more <laughs> blessings than this person." That's important, Sheikh. You, you've touched upon it like almost every day. That du'a is not for people who think they deserve it. Du'a is general; it's for anyone, sinner or non-sinner, or pious it's or not pious. It's almost like a metaphor of a queue. Imagine you, 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 a bread queue, for example. Yeah. In in Middle East, all you have is bread, bread queues that never were a queue. But anyway. It's as if you desire or you deserve the bread more. It doesn't mean that you get into the front of the queue. Mm. Your discipline is that you'd have to wait wherever you're told to wait. Mm. Like you could think, well, I've done everything I needed to on the checklist of a fantastic Ramadan, a blessed Ramadan, you know, a worshipful Ramadan. I should be at the forefront of people that are given the best prizes or the best gifts in, mm. in Ramadan. Mm. The reality is, you will get what you get somewhere. If you're so sincere, then you will get great rewards, but you have to be patient. Mm. And somebody could jump the queue and do nothing and only smile at somebody in Ramadan and they could be right at the front of the queue and get all the blessings. And that's the way that the cookie crumbles in, in, in our faith. Mm. It's just a, a strange metaphor when we're about to fast. But <laughs> obviously the fast is a difficult one. I mean, I'm really feeling the, the fast now. Yeah. Um, we have, mar- the, the we, we have mar- Marjul waiting for us. Huh? We have Marjul waiting. 
in Marjul in my car as I drive back. Um, but the thing here is, there's no entitlement. You cannot insist on God giving you what you want. Because Ahlus and Wal Jama'ah say that God can deal with everybody in the way He wants to deal with them. And then it's interesting, it jumps on to what, who are the people that are being engaged in this dua? Min azwajina, from our, it was translated as wives, it actually means from our partners. From our spouses. Min azwajina, azwaj means zawjis, yudhakir wa yu'annith. It's basically one of those words that can be used for male and female. Azwajina, meaning our spouses and our offspring. Zurriyatina. So it's actually asking Allah to grant us these things, which is our spouses and our offspring, but in a specific way. It's not saying give us mm. wives, give us husbands, give us children, give us multitude of children. It says give them to us in a specific state of being. Mm. We want these people to have specific qualities, characteristics, mannerisms, beliefs, you know kind of principles hmm. which mean that we will they will affect us to the point that we will have qurrata ayun which is a fantastic description because qurrata ayun means that when we see our husbands or our wives or our children even like a desert arab walks into the middle of a, of a sand dune and the, the dust blows into his eyes and he has and he has you know sand in his eyes the one thing he desires more than anything else is eyes to be clear hmm. And the reality is our, our life here, metaphor of it is that we walk about with, with sand in our eyes and we're mm. pained, our hearts are pained, our psyche is pained, our minds are pained by everything that we see. And we just want a bit of tranquility and a bit of peace. And for the Arabs, the most peaceful thing that you can get is in a state where your eyes are itching and they're, and they're sore and they're, and, they're, and they're pulsating with sand is to have just complete purity of eye. So Allah is saying, the things that you've given us, which is our husbands and wives and children, make them people by which we gain ayun, which is this coolness of, of sight. And which, which also within it, by extrapolation, means Allah do not grant us spouses and children and husbands and wives that will, that will cause us to be in distress. Hmm. So the dua is actually has aspects which are hidden hmm. which is it's, it's a dua you're asking for the best so you're hiding what you don't want to happen and so the Quran here is not mentioning your protection what you want to protect yourself from which is actually for most people you would rather if you're in the state where you're in difficulty and you're in a difficult family situation you're not asking